If you love what you hear, check out our authors Andrea Stewart and N.A. Fulton on Amazon.com, and be sure to subscribe to our Dark Romance Novels and Stories podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast provider. Learn more about us at audioiron.com. Acheron, The Demon King, by Andrea Stewart. Find more great stories at audioiron.com. Chapter 8 She's going along with it for the time being, said Stewart. We might have to adopt a more coercive strategy to get through the initiation right, but I like to think it won't be required. I will prepare for that unfortunate eventuality, said Ahmed. We will bring the horse to water and we will also make her drink, said James grimly. She has to do what she has to do, said Stuart. The vast majority of consorts have willingly served and we can hope that she will be among that number. Some have even relished their role. Clearly she was lost to us for many years, but she was not lost to Acheron. Perhaps the night will go quite smoothly. In case it doesn't, we will make sure we are prepared. This is a medieval business, said James. Because the last time this ritual was revised was in the time of Charlemagne, replied Stuart. The next evening Mary sat on the couch, dressed simply in a black sweater and slacks, and she had her overnight bag beside her. Her grimoire and the tarot cards were in the bag, though she didn't know if she was supposed to bring them. She was belatedly realizing she hadn't asked enough questions about her initiation, and it was too late to demand answers now. To pass the time while she waited for Stuart to arrive, she tried to read a mystery novel. After reading several pages at least eleven times she gave up. She was far too unsettled to make sense of the story. When she heard the car pull into the driveway, she felt either a surge of fear or excitement. She couldn't have said which. She stood up, dropped the book on the table, collected her bag and stepped into the early evening outside her front door. Stuart and Ahmed found her on the walkway. Without a word, they led her back to the car where James sat in the driver's seat. Like her, the men were dressed somberly, as if they were on their way to a funeral. That was not a particularly comforting thought. She stopped as they approached the car, forced herself to speak. I couldn't memorize all those words. I don't think I could remember them if they were in English, much less in Latin. And I don't know which words I am supposed to say and which belong to someone else. I don't think I should go. That is not an option, said Stuart firmly. But, I think James can help. He has some methods he uses to get my students through their advanced exams. Stuart ushered Mary into the rear seat of the late model Jaguar sedan, James slipped in beside her. Ahmed got behind the wheel and Stuart sat in front beside him. All three men seemed relaxed and self-assured, and Mary found it impossible to argue with them. James smiled as he turned to her. I was never a quick study either, he said. I can help you pick up these few lines in a matter of minutes. I doubt it, she said. What on earth had she gotten herself into? Had she actually agreed to join this silly club? Would someone find her dead in a ditch next week? Her attempts to call Margaret, someone she knew she could trust for advice, had failed. 
she hadn't been able to reach any of her friends. Even David had failed to return her calls. May I see your hand? James asked. Mary gave him her right hand, felt him examine it, and turn it over as if looking for landmarks. He then began to apply a firm pressure just at the base of her wrist. It was almost painful, and she found herself staring at him. Pressure point, he said. I need to help you relax in order for me to proceed. She nodded, fighting the urge to pull her hand away. He adjusted the position of his hands, then applied pressure again. She felt something instantly loosen in her back and shoulders. The anxiety and tension she had felt all afternoon drained away. How does that work? She asked. That's pretty clever. Better? He asked. She nodded. Much better. Not as good as some fine pharmaceuticals I know, he said, but handy from time to time. She laughed, suddenly at ease. Tell me what to do, she said. Just close your eyes and pay attention. He still had her hand and was manipulating the bones and tendons under the skin. The trick is finding a route to your subconscious which, I suspect, already knows the words. Eyes closed, feeling the sway of the car and the movement of her hand, Mary shook her head. How can I learn the words if I don't know what they mean? Ah, said James. That's easy enough to fix. She felt a sharp pain shoot up her arm and then there was only a restful silence for a very long time. It's time to wake up, said James, some indefinable time later. He was rubbing Mary's shoulder. Wake up. We're here. What? What's happening? Mary asked, sitting upright. Her back felt stiff from sitting in an awkward position for too long. Had she fallen asleep on the way here? Hadn't James been trying to teach her something? She felt a wave of misery wash over her. She hadn't learned a single thing. We've arrived at our destination, said James. You went to sleep for a moment so I could teach you those words. You hypnotized me? She asked. Had she agreed to that? How was it possible to be hypnotized without agreeing to it? Just a little, he said. As it turns out you did have good training in Latin at school, so you speak it quite well enough for our purposes. I hated those classes, she said. The nuns were certain everyone needed to know Latin so they could understand the mass. James stepped out of the car. Right they were, he said as he helped her out. Look how handy it's been. I also added a suggestion that you hear Latin as English which seems to be working. I don't understand, she said. We've been speaking Latin, he said. Mary shook her head in disbelief at this madness, then looked around at her surroundings. Looking one direction she could see a sloped driveway that led up into the night air. Looking the other way, she could see the back wall of the garage enclosure. The floor of the garage, and the half-dozen columns that supported the garage ceiling, were of a rough yellow stone. Nearby she could see a dozen other cars, all as expensive, or perhaps more expensive, than the one in which she had arrived. Apparently, the other members of the society were already here. James led her around the Jaguar to a pair of double doors illuminated by lamps that looked like torches. She looked around to find that Stuart was gone and Ahmed alone was following them. Stuart's off to prepare, said James. We are running a tad late. He pulled open one of the doors and she saw a set of wide steps that led up eight feet into a receiving room. At the top of the short flight she saw a vast lobby that was large enough to accommodate at least two hundred people. The floor was covered with acres of thick red carpet, various places to sit, a variety of small tables. An immense crystal chandelier filled the room with soft light, 
illuminating two-story glass windows and yellow stone walls. Crystal wall sconces illuminated a very beautiful, very old, staircase that coiled from the formal entry to an upper hall. How much has Stuart told you? asked Ahmed as he led her up. He said something about being naked, she said without thinking. She wondered why the staircase rails and banisters had angels carved in them. Had it come from a church? Well, said James. We start with a bath. She looked at him. Are you kidding? Like knights used to do, said James. They took a bath to prepare for their holy vigil. Our initiation process is based upon that process. Actually, I should say those holy vigils were based on our ceremony. I don't remember a bath being mentioned, she said as she continued to climb. Our sanctified pool is Roman, offered Ahmed. Actually, it was moved to its current position three centuries ago. The natural spring that feeds it is deep underground, the bath was moved, stone by stone, to its current position. I think you'll find it quite impressive. They walked down the wide hall. The light sconces on the beautiful dark wood walls flickered with gas flames. At the far end of the long hall she could see a broad wood door that looked like it belonged in a castle somewhere. It was heavily reinforced with wide black metal bands and thick black metal studs. Halfway down the hall Ahmed opened a door and stepped aside so she could enter what was, in fact, a palatial Roman bath. Columns rooted to a white marble floor reached up to support a marble ceiling that looked like it belonged in a temple. The ten-foot square sunken bath at the center of the room looked like one of the dozens she'd seen on endless vacations with the nuns to the holy city. Then, as now, she wondered how anyone on earth would have the patience to fit thousands, perhaps millions, of tiny colored tile fragments together to make a pretty picture. Artist though she was, she liked to have projects that took under a lifetime to complete. Ahmed walked into a room off the bath and returned with two large, green, medicinal bottles stoppered with cork. He walked back to the bath and, saying something in a language she couldn't understand, he emptied them both into the water. Undress, said James. Use the facilities, then step into the water. Make sure you get your whole body wet, including your hair and face. This is like one of those whole body baptisms they do in the States. He gestured at a hook on the back of the door he had passed through to get the bottles. You can hang your clothes there if you like. Ahmed pointed at a fresh white towel near the edge of the pool. You'll end up with the water in your eyes and it will burn like fire. Use this to wipe your face when that happens. We'll be back in five minutes, said James. Then they were gone. As they had instructed, she quickly undressed, used the toilet, then stepped into the water. It was much hotter and much more aromatic than she had expected. The oils in the water set her skin on fire. She did indeed get the water in her eyes when she got her head wet, and her eyes did in fact burn. She was wiping them dry when they returned. Jesus, she said when she looked up. Both men were wearing thick, black, hooded robes, tied at the waist with black silken ropes. She could see their feet were bare. It does hurt, doesn't it? said James, apparently unaware she was referring to them and their odd attire and not the water in her eyes. Ahmed said. Time for you to get out and us to get in. Mary moved to the set of narrow steps at the far end of the pool and tried to hide her discomfort as she walked out of the water. She wrapped herself in the towel they had left for her beside the pool. James, apparently oblivious to her distress, pulled off his robe without a disregard for her presence. Nude, he hung his robe on a hook next to hers on the door to the toilet, then he walked into the pool. 
she couldn't help but notice how muscular he was, as if he worked out in a gym five days a week. Why hadn't she noticed how fit he was? Bathing, said James. It's truly amazing how many cultures around the world have ritual baths. It's a metaphor for leaving the world behind, for abandoning reservations, for washing away corruption. He ducked his head under the water, came up, shook it. Reached his hand out expectantly for a towel which Ahmed handed him. When James stepped out of the bath and began to dress, Ahmed disrobed and stepped in. He too was undeniably well made, with the physique of a professional dancer or gymnast. Did these men work out all the time? Maybe physical attractiveness was a perk of society membership. A few moments later both men were back in their robes, hair spiky and skin wet with the fragrant water. Towel? said James as he approached Mary. Reluctantly she pulled it away from her body to hand to him. She had been naked with men before, but never more than one at a time. It was an odd sensation to be so exposed before them, and for them to be so apparently disinterested in her body. Turn around, said James. Ahmed is going to tie your hands behind your back and put a hood over your head. I seem to recall this as being a quite off-putting part of my initiation. Well, she said in a shaky voice as her hands were securely fastened behind her. I am quite frightened. Good, said Ahmed. A good ritual always says exactly what it means. You are supposed to feel defenseless, entirely at our mercy, and completely reliant on us. The black hood settled over her head. She felt the men take her by the arms, heard the door to the bath open, and she allowed them to lead her out of the room into the hall. She knew they were guiding her across the thick red carpet toward the door at the end of the hall and her heart began to pound with panic. Eventually she heard the sound of metal against wood, then she felt a draught as cold as the grave wash over her. From now until the ritual is over, no one will speak to you except as part of the rite, she heard James say. Remember that the purpose of the initiation is to illustrate that you are entirely subject to the will of the society, and to illustrate that the brothers can, within certain parameters be trusted to take care of you. It's like being born into a new family. She heard a large bell, like a church bell, ring. The sound wafted up from the direction in which the cold air came. Ignore James, said Ahmed. He thinks too much. Then they led her forward. Her feet found the rough stone steps they brought her to painfully cold. She heard the heavy door close and lock behind her. Then they led her forward. She almost stumbled when her feet encountered the first step, but they caught her. And then, she found herself half stumbling, half being carried down an apparently endless staircase. It wound this way and that like a maid. She heard metal grate against metal twice and realized was passing through locked gates. It was hard not to ask questions or demand that the hood be taken off. Finally, she felt herself being moved across a large open area. The air became even colder, and she heard echoes of footsteps all around. She heard voices whispering and then the eerie sound of men singing a complex canticle. As the song became more complex, she realized that it was quite beautiful and a little familiar. She had the sense she could sing along if she wanted. Eventually the robe was removed and she was forced to her knees. The song faded away leaving only a vast and echoing silence. Why have you come before us? She heard the question, knew it was Latin, but understood it as if it were English. Stuart was speaking to her and she felt comforted knowing that he was here. To serve you, she replied. Something cold and sharp was pressed against her throat and she recoiled. The hood was pulled away and she looked up. 
Around her in a circle stood twelve hooded men illuminated by twelve hanging censers filled with fire. The heavy metal bowls hung on long black chains that rose what must be a hundred feet. High above her she could just make out vast gothic arches supporting a ceiling so high she couldn't see it. Huge columns stood at the end of each arch, like giant trees holding aloft a stone canopy. Beneath her feet she saw more Roman tile. She was at the center of a seven-pointed star. This was a cathedral, she thought, one as large, as magnificent, as St. Peter's in Rome. At her throat was a long sharp, silver, blade. What sacrifice do you make us? Stuart demanded. The bonds of the heart, the ties of blood, all pride, all power, my life. I am dead in this world, she said, and I am born to another. The blade at her throat fell away. Stand, Stuart ordered. She stood. Someone cut her bonds and her hands fell to her sides. Moments later she felt someone pressing something against her body, hands, and legs. One of the shrouded men moved forward to hand the shrouded Stuart a length of red cord with several knots. We have your measure, Stuart said. To betray us is death. So mote it be, she replied. Belatedly she realized she had just made her oath to these men. It had never occurred to her not to. She completely believed that they had been initiating people in this way, in this place, for hundreds of years. Know your brothers. And the men threw back their hoods. She saw that Stuart had indeed been the one questioning her. He was flanked, right and left, by Ahmed and James. She also recognized the businessman, government official, and physicist Stuart had listed for her. She knew on sight the American politician, the BBC News announcer, and thought she recognized the thick-necked, dark-skinned man from a TV show about arms traders she had watched once. There was a young, but very well-known, entertainer, and an Asian she knew to be a Japanese entrepreneur. The last man she saw looked too Slavic not to be from Mother Russia, and he might have been three times her age. They all regarded her dispassionately, clearly playing out this odd ritual with complete sincerity. A space was made for Mary in the circle to Stuart's right. She slipped into it and tried hard not to look around as the men took up another chant. She noted that most of the men closed their eyes as they sang. After a moment or two she thought she heard someone whispering behind her, and from the corner of her eye she sensed movement. Was there someone else here in this subterranean sanctuary? Someone she hadn't seen? Lethargy overtook her as the chant continued. Perhaps it was the hypnosis in the car, the tension of the last week, or some exhaustion that had carried over from her experience with the tarot cards. All she knew was that her eyes would simply not stay open. Once again the tune they were singing was so familiar she found herself humming it. Where had she heard it before? In church? She had spent so many of her early years in worship. Come, she heard someone say as he drew her away from the others. It seemed natural to leave the circle of men and go with him into the darkness. She was so tired and she wanted to lie down. He led her up one step, then another, then a third, and he said she could sleep on his table. She wanted to do that for him. She had sworn to serve her brothers and she would serve them. She would be loyal to each and every one. Then she opened her eyes. She found she was lying on a stone altar staring up into utter darkness. In the dim illumination provided by the censers handing hundreds of feet away, she saw the face of the devil she had banished when she was a child. He hovered over her, more than a shadow, but yet not something she could grasp. It was the creature that had come to her room and banished the tarot cards the one who had come to her barn and explored her masks. 
But in this place he was much larger than a man, with bright yellow eyes, great wings, and sharp white teeth. She began to scream. Recording and Story Copyright 2020 by Nancy Fulton. All rights reserved. Music created by D. Kurtzman and licensed from Pond5. Find more great stories at audioiron.com.